Dirty Scrap Podcast. As you may know, uh, this is Dirty Scrap, the, the aluminum podcast. The idea of this podcast is, you know, try to trying to give to the people more knowledge about sustainability, recycling, uh, technology, innovation. And one of the things that is very, like, you know, keep my attention on you is you have this, let's say, real fascinating trip around the industry you start like uh, uh if, if i am not wrong you've been from an industry that is not related to the to the recycling industry right yeah and you jump into the industry and you became a, a, a an entrepreneur and you start the company tell yeah. me about it because it's very interesting to me yeah so uh the way that i got started or how i came to know about the industry when i was 13 years old i went to a, a scrapyard uh, called General Iron Industries. Uh, it was a it was a mega shredder. So um, it was owned by the uh, LabCon family in Chicago. And I went there on a, a Saturday afternoon with my dad, and I had the opportunity to walk around and and jump in the equipment. And uh, my first memory was sitting in a Komatsu excavator, uh, loading cars onto the conveyor belt to feed the shredder. And for some reason, I <laughs> thought I'd be good at this job. <laughs> I didn't know exactly what it entailed, but it looked like uh, organized chaos. I remember sitting in the crane and looking down and seeing like these lines of, of trucks and material flowing through. And it just seemed, uh, it just seemed something like I could do. Uh, and, and it seemed much larger than myself. There was like this massive operation. And you're like this little kid. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and my, my dad has a, a, a background in, in commodity, um, future uh, trading futures. And so I would, I would, you know, on our way to school or at home, I would hear him at the time it was still old school. Right. So he would call into the clearing firm and he would be putting in, you know, orders for contracts and, and but I had no idea what, like what, what futures were. Right. I, right. I, I could relate to it. So I, I think also too, I wanted to have something to talk about with my dad and my dad is like a very peculiar person like he only likes to talk about a couple of subjects and, and that being business so I wanted to relate to him so anyways in the back of my mind when I was 13 that's that's why I got started I, I wasn't sure how I was going to segment into the business uh but I knew it was something that I really wanted to do and and I had this conviction that I would be do okay at it if I if I had the opportunity and so really uh what happened is I had some, you know, you know, uh, career opportunities uh, before, and then I um, I moved back from working for a family office actually in Mexico, and I moved back. And my neighbor, growing up, his family was in the scrap industry out of uh, Milwaukee, and uh, my neighbor's brother uh, owned a, a small yard, a small retail yard in Des Plaines, Illinois, called Main Scrap Metal, and uh, it was owned by a gentleman named Bobby Cat. He was an old school guy, and he was a Keywell guy. And so Keywell, at, at one point before they went bankrupt, was a really large uh, stainless steel blender and processor, right? So nickel ferrule alloys. And so he was he was out of his mind. He was crazy. And I I pulled up for this interview, and like uh, the first thing it was like I saw trucks coming in and out on like a, a like a, a a thumbprint right of a, of a place. It was maybe an acre. <laughs> it was so busy, and again, it was like that chaos. And I was automatically drawn to it, and probably was the most inappropriate job interview I've ever had. Like, <laughs> there's like absolutely no filter, like talking about my love life and what I like to do on the weekends. And I was like, 
<laughs> and this guy was like, you know, he was in his 60s, but like completely so full of life. And so that's how I got started is that I ended up working at this company, Main Scrap Metal. And uh, the good thing and the bad thing about Bobby is that he worked hard and played hard. Right. And he expected you to work as hard as he did. And so, if, and the only opportunity I had to learn was after work, right? When when it stopped. So I, you know, we would walk around and we would look at boxes, right? And understand how to make a, a mill package. And, and he taught me all the formulas, right? Off the index pricing for the various different types of commodities, especially the ones based upon recoveries, whether it be the high temp alloys or, or insulated copper wire, for example. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that's, that's how I got started. So that's, you know, I developed my base there, my, my operating experience and then, um, my networking opportunities, you know, uh, through, you know, being affiliated with the business. And, uh, and when I had the naive idea of going out on my own and starting my own business, because I was young and dumb. So, <laughs> and, and how is that working about becoming your own, you know, making your own business instead of working up for, for another? Because I, I have my own, my own company. I'm from Colombia. When I was living in Colombia, I used to have my, my company as well. I yeah. sold, but it's, it's not an easy, uh, let's say, jump that you make into your life because it's a very complicated decision and you are by your own, right? right. Even if you have the experience, you need to understand how things work. And it's totally different to be an employee and start your own business and start yeah. understanding the whole structure that you need. Mm -hmm. How was that decision? I mean, how, how, what pushed you to make that decision? You know what? I, I just had this strong belief uh, that I could do it. And I and I, I thought I did it well for someone else. I worked really hard, mm -hmm. uh, and I had the determination and work ethic. And I I just I, I had absolute conviction that I could do it. Do and it. I think yeah, I, I just like I, I think as an entrepreneur, you always have to be optimistic, even in in yeah. bear markets, and and you have to believe in what you're doing. You you it's it's almost like that self fulfilling prophecy of. Of like moral psychology is saying like what I'm doing is the right thing and 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 have to be overly optimistic on it and definitely yeah I mean I, I listen it, it's extremely challenging it's not for everyone it, it's a entrepreneurship is a lonely journey um, there's not many people that understand it if they're not entrepreneurs themselves I've I've, I've had plenty of, of women in my life that just got sick of me because I did not. Uh, <laughs> dedicate the same amount of time and energy to it right. but you know I, i i i but i know that i and i chose my path there's a lot of people that chose family and relationships and and you know traveling and and for my own reason for whatever reason i i chose you know my journey in in you know uh, the metal recycling industry um but uh yeah it, it's it's you don't know what you don't know right and i and i right. think like i think You know, I I think I didn't understand all the pitfalls because I was I had like this bravado and this naivety to me and like you know they say ignorance is bliss but I've learned a lot on the way and right. and you, you apply what you learn and you you try to move forward from it. Right. Let's jump into the recycling. Okay. Aluminum industry is growing a lot, and not just aluminum, but the, the entire recycling industry is growing a lot. Uh, I think here in the United States, we are seeing the green path getting more yeah. stronger. Uh, yeah. The European market is a little bit different. They went through this path a long time ago, so the technology is different. Uh, they use a lot these energy recovery systems, the collection of uh, scrap, sorting, cleaning is something that is useful, and they've been doing this for 
long time. Now, here in the U.S., we have several different, uh, let's say, approaches. If we have landfills, uh, we are uh, very flexible on the, let's say, byproducts uh, disposition. Mm -hmm. Do you think that this new path is going to impact the industry in a positive way and, and how the industry can adapt faster to these challenges? Yeah, so I, I do think the recycling rates will increase, um, particularly because there's incentive to do so. I think more companies right now are, are, are going towards managing their supply chain to be carbon neutral. And we're seeing premium on green material, right? Right. On and carbon neutral material. So I, I think, you know, those that participate, at least within our industry, I think if if you can certify that your material is, let's say, you know, carbon neutral, for example, I think in the long term, you're able to market your material at a premium above above others. I think the collection sortation and the end use of these materials is only going to increase in terms of making more valuable alloys, particularly in terms of the prime grades. We're seeing the investment here from you know hydroaluminum, which is in my neck of the woods, right? They're, they're big plant in Kostopolis, uh, joint ventures with, with companies such as Padnos, where they're, you know, where they're applying this sorting technology at, you know, and AI and, and really extracting out alloys needed to manufacture um, the desalloed alloys that they're, they're looking to produce. Right. Um, if, if the incentive is there, they will create the market. And I think the market is developing. And I think people are really looking at their waste streams to maximize it. I think the one thing too that needs to be held is like, it's not so much on our end, but at the municipal level, I think the recycling rates are still really terrible, right? I mean, compared to compared to uh, European cities and uh, and also in, in terms of, of just like the end products, right? Like we still have like paper cups in, 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 um, Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts, like right. that's non-existent. And if you go to Europe, like, I was just in Portugal, and like they have cups there for you to use, and primarily aluminum or stainless steel. I just I think we also need to start thinking too about how these products are manufactured, right? And and then how we're able to recycle them. Um, and we need to be working more in terms of like product design and product engineering to make sure that uh, we can ensure that these waste is diverted to landfills and that they could be monetized and that there's enough margin for all stakeholders to make money. Right. I think product design is, is, is a really nice and, and innovative approach. But and now that you are talking about the recycling rates, you are in the recycling. Why do you think? And, and I think it's not fair to compare United States against one just one country in the yeah. European market because United States is huge. But for example, talking about UBC recycling, UBC yeah. recycling rate in the US is 40%. It's, it's very mm -hmm. low. Yeah. In... in, in Italy is 100%, in Spain is 70%, in the whole right. Europe is 70% rate. Yeah. Why is that? What do you think we have this low rate? When we really produce a lot of UVC, or Canada produce a lot of UVC, and we are using a lot of this material, but we have just 30% of the recycling rate against other countries. Yeah, you know, I, I think it all comes back down to legislation and, and promoting and, and changing um, consumer psychology and how they treat it. Like in Michigan, right, there's a big rebate program. So there's virtually like, unless you have the state contract like Shupan, right, you really don't see a lot of UPCs in, in circulation. People aren't bringing in uh, UBCs. I think we need to incentivize 
you know, basically from the generation source at, at the retail curb level to promote these rates. And it, and I think it also has to do with like the awareness. I don't think people really know, for example, like they, that, you know, today's in a relatively, you know, healthy market, you can get 35 to 40 cents per pound on, on, on your UBCs, right? And so people don't really think about it. Uh, it's just, and I think that there's a laziness to it, but I, I also think that people should, you know, be penalized for, for not doing it, right? Because it, it is a cost to the system. There is environmental degradation. But I, I think at the at the very least, we need to have supportive legislation to promote, you know, behavior to recycle. Right. What are you seeing in Europe that's different than here? How, how is Italy or... or... Oh, I, I mean, they have a different, let's say, it's, it's from the legislation part. Of course, they have a lot of penalties. Mm -hmm. But also, just imagine that if you want to process, uh, uh, for example, from the foundry point of view, salt cake or white draws or black draws, whatever it is of this byproduct, you mm -hmm. cannot go to, to a landfill. You need to right. go to this company, Befesa, and they will charge you if you don't process that uh, well. I think it's 220 euros per ton of draws. Mm -hmm. Here you can just throw it into the landfill. So I think it's part of flexibility. It's part of um, self-conscious. Con conscious, mm -hmm. conscious. Uh, so I think it's... it's, it's um, a mixture of different things, but I yeah. think more on the legislation because you really have bad penalties or, or hard penalties if you don't recycle your your own material. And also, you have I, we did a, a, an episode in uh, Italy about dairy scrap, talking about how they have these different bins all around the city for right. recycling everywhere. It's everywhere. So I think the society is focusing in that. Here, mm -hmm. as I said, we have a lot of flexibility. For example, I live in Florida, and this mm -hmm. is not related to the metal recycling industry, but here we don't recycle any glass. Why? You can recycle glass as much as you want, but here they don't because it's dangerous for the people to handle the, the glass. I mean, it's, it's just creating a, right. a really nice protocol to allow you to go in that direction. So I think it's pretty much the same with the metal. Now, saying that, um, and, and I want to jump into a different direction, same path on the recycling, but what is this customized recycling solutions that you offer? Because it's, for me, customized recycling solutions is a very, really, let's say, interesting topic because right. recycling is recycling, right? And this is this is the, the, the idea we have. You go to a scrap yard, you just sell or whatever it is with your metal, they mm -hmm. sort, clean, and they sell it. But what right. is customized and turnkey solution on the recycling side? I, I think really, like when you look at an industrial account, there's not like an industrial account that fits all. There's such unique business, right. even in the foundry industry or in the foundry business, right? So we we handle dross. We, it's not like there's one size V-tub to fit every furnace, right? Nope. Everyone has unique furnaces. Everyone has uh, a little little changes or iterations to their operation like it could be the the height of the lay machine right and so you're going to have to customize totes or if they want to have their let's say their um uh, uh cutting fluids returned to them that's you know buying venturi pumps and and creating siding walls and placing them in right. the hoppers like it is really intricate to onboard certain accounts and understand how you could provide a service that meets their environmental needs but also the equipment needs as to not shut them down, right? So it's 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 really important. And like having the right equipment on site is not only maximizing the benefit to your customer, but also maximizing your costs and your efficiency. So it's it's like people think like you know just like dropping a box. Like if you go into like a, a huge you know a, a big in, in industrial account, uh, if they're doing you know, you know let's say example more related to your industry like 
drosh and flashings and heels. Like you really need to think about like how you're going to maximize your payloads, what equipment they need is a combination between roll-offs, luggers, and boxes. How do you set your roll-off luggers and boxes? How What's the height of their furnaces, right? So you could get the right feed tubs. How, how big are their heats? How much do they produce? Like, there's a lot of planning that goes into it. It's not, it's, it's not like a rubber stamp that people think of, like a waste management where you just drop a box at a construction site and pick it up. We charge you a flat rate. Like, there's a lot in to go under underwriting the account and then also capitalizing like the account like getting a v-tub now a large v-tub it might cost you two or three grand it, it's right if you need if you need 30 of them i mean let's call it a, a round number that's 100 grand so um it's 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 really looking at the pain point and mm -hmm. finding the right equipment the right solution and then also pricing model to for you know for their for their accounting methods and also for um to um, take a uh, risk, a market risk into consideration, into consideration uh, when settling price. Right. So it's it's you know it, I always laugh. I'm just like so you just like pick the box up. <laughs> yeah, I wish. <laughs> right, it's not that simple. <laughs> yeah, I I wish. And the way that it's moving now really is like there's more tolling than ever. So right. whether it be toll processing, right, where you have large generator. Uh, large volume generators that want to own the material, but their cost structures might not necessarily be the same. So you can provide a service um, at a discount to their base rate um, or tolling the material for them. And you're converting, you know, converting scrap into into refined metal product. Right. And so I think the way that the industry is moving and in, in is it's we're more so going to be um, supply chain managers. You know, handing the handling the logistics, handing the nuances of the supply chain and streamlining it so that they're dealing with one vendor and not multiple different vendors. Because if you think about it, right, if you're a generator um, and you're not tolling your material and, and you don't have a, a quote unquote supply chain manager, what do you have to do? Well, you, you have to manage your scrap program, right? Right. You, you have to manage the, the logistics, uh, picking up the material um, from the um, from the mill and delivering it to your facility, or et cetera. So if you have like the right nuances, the right efficiencies in place, you could really streamline it and provide logistical and operational support that would be an additional cost to them if they managed it entirely themselves. Right. So, I, you know, as as we've kind of alluded to, I think the way in which it's going is that more manufacturers, more companies are, are, are being aware of, of, of trying to achieve this goal of being carbon neutral. And those that can provide support above the rest, I think will do a great job, especially right. as labor costs are pretty persistent in, in trucking and everything else. It's complicated. Like, yeah, yeah, it is. And, and, and I really like this approach because I've been talking about this, let's say, bridge between the foundries and the scrap jars. It's something very important that we really need to achieve because what I and, and, and going back to your question about what is different in the European market, uh, and I'm talking about the European market because I, I work with a separate company and we bring to the U.S. European technology. And I think also the difference is that the, the scrap jar and the foundry, they are like a complete, just, it's just one 
industry, the whole industry, not like here. Here, what I am seeing is you have recycling and recycling, but you don't understand very well what is the difference. So recycling can be collecting and sorting, but then you have recycling that is aluminum transformation on the secondary. But we mm -hmm. don't have this bridge between them. What mm -hmm. I'm seeing is some of the foundries that I know, they are having really bad times trying to make a better approach for the, uh, from, from the scrap point of view, right? And they have problems on, on segregation, on mm -hmm. uh, contamination, whatever it is. One of the key points here that I am seeing that this is your approach is that you customize and you make turnkey solutions that in some point you can be like the scrap jar inside the facility of the foundry, right? How is this approach? Because for me, it's very important to understand that because I think that is the future. A really good partner up between the scrappers and the founder. How is that, that uh, let's say, uh, process work? You know, I, I think, you know, anytime we go in, it's all about sortation and singling out recycling streams to prevent contamination. Mm -hmm. And the foundry industry, and I think, you know, and I think just let's say overall um, manufacturing is struggling with labor, right? And it, and it's about creating a culture of of caring, right? It, if, if you don't care and, and if, if you don't emphasize the impact uh, that recycling will have on your operation, it will it will definitely impact your bottom line. I mean, not why why is most green manufacturing occurring? It's not only to help the environment. It's a much cheaper replacement cost than using bauxite and alumina and aluminum and all these really expensive feedstocks. Like the companies that do this will survive and they'll widen out their spread between, you know, uh, raw material inputs and finished and finished product. Mm -hmm. I mean, everyone right now is battling persistent inflation. So those that could really widen out their spreads and make sure that they don't make mistakes and that their chemistries are right and that um, um, they will be successful um, yep. and they will generate more value than their competitor and they'll probably do better, right? And they'll continue to expand and grow and those that do not will face margin compression and will cease to exist. And that's just capitalism. Right. But how easy is to go in that direction with the foundry? I mean, it's I don't know if it's easy or not, but you are in the, okay. in the field. How easy is to go in that direction? I, you know, it's for some of them now, I think the, the, a lot of them, like a small or, me, or medium sized foundry, they have not thought about tolling their material right. of being able to, for a vendor to come and deliver ingot or sow to them and pick up scrap and like mm -hmm. continuously have this circular supply chain um, and, and to come in and, and to give them um, an understanding of how to segregate segregate their draws. You know, for example, don't blend your 356, 356A with, with your 380 or 319. Right. Like it's, you know, not all drosh is created equal, right? I mean, not all alloys are, are priced the same. And those price differences could be 15, 20 cents, 30 cents. You multiply that by whatever your volume generation is. That's a significant amount of money. It is. You know, and in order to, and then on, on the, then on the toll conversion side for the toll, like, the better your inputs are and the less impurities there are, there's 
the less that you have to add, it, it brings that toll cost out. And it, and again, you're, you're, you're adding more value within your cost structure and you're able to expand those margins. So like having that baseline separation is really, really, really important. Yeah, I totally and, agree. And, and, and this is the approach we have with, our, with the people we talk about, you know, how to handle your scrap, how to do the right segregation, how to implement technologies that allow you to clean your material in order to reach the higher efficiency on the aluminum right. recoveries at the end is going in that direction because mm -hmm. yes it's, it's very nice the speech about you know the green planet and uh, not wasting energy but at the end if you are not profitable that make no sense right now on the innovation uh, innovation side why you are at an innovator on the scrap recycling in why or how how well i think it's about coming up with solutions right and and not ex expecting things uh, at face value, I, and I think what we're the, the approach that we're taking is a lot of the times is is we're we're always looking at ever we come in as as a as consultants basically, right? And we go this this and this, you know, within our proposals, we think we could cut X amount of weight, X amount of waste per year, whether that be you know doing something differently on the logistics and transportation side, whether it's finding a different market, whether we're able to. Um, provide better assets or segregate your alloys better or, you know, find different markets. I think the, the view that we're looking at more is we're in the logistics and supply and chain management side for the circular economy. It, I think a lot of it will be, and just the way that it's that it that it's going, is that a lot of the large consumers now are looking to get vertically integrated. But what they're not good at is the logistics side, the operation side. When you're a small, medium-sized business, you have a much better pulse on things. When you're a huge company and you have people that maybe necessarily don't care, it, it's right. much harder to be efficient and to address these pain points in a timely manner. And you, I see it all the time. It doesn't matter how big you are. If your people don't care in your culture and your culture is not right, yeah. you're not going to provide a service. So everyone says like, you know, everyone goes all like, look how big Omni is or, or, C, you know, or CMC or it doesn't really matter. I mean, if you're hungry and you're and, and if you're hungry and you're in the solution providing business, you will do well. And if yeah. you're not, you won't. But yeah, right, and, and not to call them out, but these big com companies are—it's it, cumbersome. It, it's hard to get anything done. It's so bureaucratic. And if you could streamline de your decision making and act in a timely manner, that's that's relative to market fluctuation or the current events that surround you, you'll do well. Right. I, I know that you have some some risk management abilities, right, or, or, or experience in this market. That is a market that is moving in so many directions. How do you manage the risk on the on on the side of the market pricing and everything? How you how, how do you do that? Yeah, so we take futures contracts um, as well. We we sell forward every month, uh, whether it's whether it's a whether the market goes up and up and down. I mean, mm -hmm. we we don't, we don't take speculative positions, but I also think now because what what we're doing constantly is reevaluating our margin on, on, a, on a per customer basis. And you'll have to make adjustments. I, you know, the, the, you know, making 5%, you know, making a 5% margin on, you know, when the cost of capital is eight, eight and a half percent, doesn't make sense. Right. Or, if, or, or if your operating costs increase by, you know, 15% or whatever it is due to whatever the, 
the the input is or you know uh, core inflation costs are like you you have to make adjustment you have to have a really good PNL uh, a working PNL we we produce a working PNL on a weekly basis to monitor our cash flow and 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 you could see it build and you could see it decline and right. if there's a decline you start to ask questions but at first it comes into a a, a working financial dashboard that with with metrics that make sense to your business. And if you don't have insight into how you're right, you really need I, I and I think it's our like foreign to this and it, uh, and I've only started to think about it the last couple of years is it is a is a data strategy. Not just for scrap, but the, the ability to aggregate and collect data to build out a an enterprise dashboard so they could see all your operating metrics in one place. All the driver, all the driving metrics that that you place an importance on, um, and and that you want to pay attention to in terms of your PL. And I I think we need to have like in terms of our company more financial literacy um, on it. And so it, like right now in terms of the volatility, you absolutely need to be looking at margin compression and adjusting things and like taking out the cost and on a per basis. Um, situation right and what, what what do you think is going to be the future of the recycling industry here in the u.s what what is going to be those challenges that we will see because i think primary aluminum is is going to be there for a while we will need more and more primary aluminum in order to you know to reach the amount of um recycling rates we want to reach by 2032 that some experts are saying that the aluminum that we will see in the market 90 of that aluminum will be recyclable aluminum i am not so sure because we will need more aluminum from the primaries, but what do you think is going to be those challenges from the recycling side for the next, I don't know, two or five years? It's not easy to say, I know you don't have yeah. a crystal ball, right? But how do you see the future of the market? I think really it's like if, if the way in which we manufacture metal changes, our processing equipment needs to change and the input, the the, the product that we're that we're going to, uh, that we're marketing will change as well in terms of like the specifications. So You know, as the specifications change and and we're shifting to making you know green prime aluminum grades, mm -hmm. they're, they're the consumers need to communicate to the recyclers of what the standards are, and and it's just like anything else, it creates a barrier to entry, and those that can invest in the technology and the equipment right. will survive, and they'll be able to expand the margins, and those that cannot or choose not to or Missed the bus or the train for every reason, and it's gone. And <laughs> later, they won't. And and it's and I think I think that's the way it's going to take an enormous amount of capital to to get to this point. And it's also finding like specialized people, right? Maybe it's people from the foundry industry. Maybe it's people, uh, you know, are. are or specialists in terms of metallurgy scientists that are that are working within scrapyards in order to create like a a, a blend, right? Right. Uh, or, or help with um, quality control, control and ISO cert certifications. Um, it 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 will look differently. It will you will it will require more capital and human capital that wasn't previously. Right. What do you think? I think I, I am a hundred percent agree with what you're saying. My concern is, for example. We have the carbon credits, we have the flexibility on the landfill. I don't know if you're aware of this, but we have 90 million tons of aluminum on landfills here in the U.S. So now we are thinking on start mining the landfill. Yeah. So I think we, we are doing a great job going in the direction of growing the recycling, doing better practices, uh, making this bridge more tight between the recyclers 
and the aluminum transformation that is the foundries. But again, I think if we keep having this flexibility of carbon credit uh, or, or landfills without any fee, I think some companies will, will make the huge step on investment in technology and in people, but some of them, I don't think so. Because if you have the flexibility, you will always you know, go in that direction because we'll make you, or we'll allow you to keep the, the, the regular practices and keep uh, doing or making or having CO2 emissions on the high level. And so I think it's going to change. We need some uh, political, uh, let's say, decisions to go in, in a better direction. I think some people want to go into the investment side. I think this idea about to having an innovative approach to having the scrapyard inside the foundry facility is a great deal because we allow you to increase your, your profit, to have a better practices on your scrap segregation, scrap sorting, cleaning, yeah. whatever it is. And that will improve the whole uh, circular economy industry inside the recycling facility. Now, I think it's going to take a while. Um, I don't know how these wars around the world will impact the, the, the U.S. market. But in some point, we will see some impact for sure. We have Russia and China that they are the, one of the biggest ones on the aluminum side. But yeah. we also have Canada, right? That they are trying to go from the primary sector to the secondary sector. And also, I think, and I don't know what you think about it, but if Canada start making more and more recycling instead of sending the, 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 the scrap to the United States, maybe we will have less scrap into the United States and we will see more on the Canada side. So I don't know how this will impact, but for sure we will have an impact here. So I think people need to understand that flexibility is not, uh, let's say, the best approach. It's good to be flexible for sure. But I think it's better to understand that the long-term investment will will pay better. That's that's what I think. Yeah, and I think people are, need to basically you need to stick to a strategy, and and it, and it's going to take some time to develop. And some of the fundamentals like you, will change, right? Yeah, the, the flow of material will always go where it's treated the best, right? Money goes where it's treated the best. The geopolitics will be there. I mean, really, the way that that will move markets, right? If there's supply disruptions, if, if and and really most notably, I, I think as you're alluding to with China, if China attacks uh, attacks Taiwan, let's say within the next yeah. five years, you know how much material will come out of the market? And what is the what is the impact? I mean, just like Russia, I think right now. We really haven't seen an impact on Russia because most of Russian prime is traded to China, um, and 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 if and if a lot of the scrap from Canada stays domestic, I, I think maybe the U.S. becomes a you know a net importer potentially. And, and like right, so it's it'll, it'll be interesting, and I and I think that's why you've seen a lot of investment in Mexico um, to increase those collection systems to, in order to, you know, prove out these vertical integration strategies. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, it, I think people need to be made, be made aware of the technology, the trends within the industry, what it's going to look like and a roadmap of delivery and how, how you're going to get there. Um, and it's different for everyone, but uh, it will definitely be a, a learning curve, very expensive. And I think also too, it's, you know, anytime, Time there's, uh, I think, a policy change like this or or a shift in the industry, it creates an opportunity because it creates a barrier to entry, and and it's it's like those that had the auto shredders, you know, initially, right, or or or, or uh, just throughout the history of our of our industry, um, you know, significant investment should should yield a, should yield a premium because you're making a higher quality product than your competitor, which will in turn drive volume, right, and therefore 
profit. Yeah. So Jacob, before we we end this episode, that I really appreciate it. I, I I have so much fun. I have two questions. Yeah. What do you think about these, let's say, recyclers or scrappers that wants to turn their heads into the foundry side and start melting their own scrap? Mm -hmm. Do you think this is a reasonable decision? Is a good decision? Or from your point of view, do you think it's better to customize the solution and go and do a partner app with the foundry? I think it, it, it all depends upon, you know, it, it's like it's like the scrap companies that go out and do demo and then they have demo <laughs> demolition customers <laughs> as suppliers as well. It, it's it's difficult. I mean, you don't you don't want to cut off the relationship. I think you as Stu Kagan, you know, always alludes to like we, we need to find ways to work together, right, for, for collaboration. Right. Um, listen, like there's a lot of recyclers within the United States that have their own furnaces. Universal Scrap Metal out of Chicago, Simcoe, um, you know, the, um, Omnisource, for example, right, is, or, or, you know, is um, Dynamic Aluminum. I, it, it, it has to make sense for you and, and like, the volumes need to be there, uh, right. and no one, but no one owns the no, owns these owns these supply chains, right? Like the volume is elastic. It's not you can't always count on it, right? It, it like month in month out, you might lose contracts, you might lose industrial accounts, um, and then on the other side, it, it's more so you know using furnace space or existing infrastructure to add value to your customers and managing. I, it, it all goes on with your with your risk perspective. I think the, the, the foundry industry right now, it, it's so cumbersome in terms of all the environmental permits and, and the technology and the turnover. I mean, you really need to know what you're doing. Uh, but yeah, I, I think in terms of a vertical inter integration play, I, I've seen a lot of, um, you know, a lot of shredders now are, are creating heavy media plants, right, to produce Twitch and, and things of that sort, uh, of that nature. Right. Um, that that makes sense. Um, I don't know. I, I I think also too. It's like there might be a period of overinvestment on, on the side, which 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 would saturate you know saturate margins. And I think uh, I think I think it's early to tell. What what do you think? I think it's it's not the same industry. I think people need no. to understand that it's totally different industries. Right. Melting and alloying and casting is complicated. You need to understand how, even yeah. if you have the volumes, as you just said, in order to be profitable, you need to understand that it's not just having a really good management of your, of your scrap, but you need to understand cross contamination. You need to understand uh, how uh, make the, the 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 higher aluminum recoveries. You need to understand the technology in order to produce the right product. You need to understand quality, and then you need to go outside and understand who is your customer. Mm -hmm. So it's it's complicated. I think I am seeing a lot of companies like your company in the United States going in that direction. I think it's not a it's not a bad idea, but it's a complicated decision that they need to understand that is not going to be the same structure that you already have. So I think the partner up with the with the big foundries is a better decision because you can grow together. Yeah. So for me, I think it's a better option. And you can always try to understand what is like this in-between technologies that will allow you to make the really good partner up. Like, you know, uh, sorting or um, eddy current systems that allow you to separate the materials or everything related to the lacquering of dryer systems to give to your customer a uh, high value added product with low, really, really low contamination that will increase their, their recycling rates on the foundry side. So I think if, if people like you uh, or, or like your industry 
understand that in between technologies is going to be really great for them for the partner app. I think that that's the best approach, more than just turning your scrapyard into a founder. I, I, I agree with you too. Okay, Jacob. And last question before we go is people that is the people that is seeing this or that will see this, mm -hmm. if they want to approach to you to know better about recycling, where they can find you? Um, At the well, office. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. Well, I'm either in Maryville, Indiana or Ben Harbor, Michigan, uh, Monday through Saturday. Uh, you can message me on LinkedIn or, or email me uh, at jake at benmetals.com or jake at mrecycling.com. Always accessible. Uh, uh, look forward to you know connecting with whoever. And, and uh, yeah, I'd, and more so, I want to encourage the next generation of, of entrepreneurs to get in get into the space. If you have questions about um, how to how to pursue a strategy or how to start your own metal recycling business, I don't know if you'd want to, but if, if you do want to, I'm happy to be a sounding board and and love to connect with other entrepreneurs within the space. It's a really close knit community. It's a it's I think it's a really shared reality and 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 the struggles and the successes is something that's shared so um you know love to be available and uh please reach out right well thank you so much i really appreciate your time here and well thank you for for being here with us in dirty scrap podcast aluminum podcast and hopefully a lot of people will see this and they will take your path the entrepreneur path that is easy right yeah it's super easy anyone can do it dirty scrap podcast